Hey, this is Dan Kogan. I'm one of the pastors at Grace Family in Pleasant Hill, Missouri, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today and let you know you matter to us because you matter to God. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to look at the shepherds just a little bit, but one particular encounter with the shepherds. So in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, it's where we get the, uh, the entire narrative of the birth of Christ. Let's pick up and let's, let's read it once again together. What a beautiful story. Luke does such a wonderful job of sharing the story with us. In verse 8, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all about them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Look, for I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a feed box. Suddenly, there was with the multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people that he favors. And when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they hurried off and and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in a feed box. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary was treasuring up all of these things in her heart and meditating on them. But the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Father, I thank you for your word. Again, these stories are so familiar to us. Sometimes the biggest challenge we have is to hear them with ears and see them with eyes and experience them with our heart in a really new and powerful way and not just to glance over them as some very familiar fable. Lord, help us see the powerful truth in them and the absolute life-changing reality of what happened and your sovereign hand in all of it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Talking about our God works well in the night. You know, it was in the nighttime that these shepherds were out there with their flocks. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I don't want to burst your bubble, but they weren't ever in the field in December. So Jesus was not likely born in December. Uh, would have been some other time of the year. But nonetheless, they, they were out there with their 
flock at night because they stayed with the sheep all of the time. And as I said before, shepherds were not, they were not the cream of the crop socially. And if you were going to have your very first child, they were not the ones you would expect to show up and be the ones that would greet the baby. You would expect it would be the, 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 the young mother's parents, her mother, her sisters, her aunts, her friends, uh, the relatives, the people she loves and cares for. But no, it was these unusual, strange shepherds. And then a few years or later, when the magi from the east, when these wise men came from the east bearing gifts and they came to the house where Jesus was as a child, as I said that night, that's the first time we have any record of Gentiles actually worshiping Jesus. But you have this picture that he came for everyone. He came for the lowly shepherds that the rest of the culture would probably ignore. He was right there among the Hebrews, but he also came for the uh, for the, the, the Magi, those from the East, those wise and learned men bring incredibly expensive gifts. He's a savior for the entire world. So here today, no matter who you are, no matter your situation in life, no matter your worldview, no matter where you've come from, he came for all people. He came for all of us. And that's the purpose of this, this message. It's the purpose of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and that wonderful video you just saw. He cares for every person in the whole world. And he gave these shepherds the most unbelievable gift you could receive of all the people of all of humanity that have ever lived or ever will live, they were the ones chosen to go that night into Bethlehem and find, of all things, a baby in a feed box. Now, I know your Bible says manger, but the direct translation is feed box. And it would have seemed unusual for the shepherds to have been told, you're going to find a baby laying in a feed box. That just doesn't happen very often. And so when they walked into Bethlehem, began to look around, found this young couple, found this baby wrapped in clothing in a feed box, they realized, even though you wouldn't think that the, the very presence of God himself, the very presence of the Messiah, would be in a small sort of place where the animals were kept and laying in a feed box in the middle of the night, these shepherds understood that that's exactly who they were seeing because the heavens were filled with the glory of God. They were terrified when they saw it. And again, one of the first things the angels say is to what? To fear not. There are over 300 times in the scripture we are told to fear not. Charles Spurgeon says that fear nots are all over God's little garden. They just pop up everywhere behind the doctrines and the precepts. All through the pages of God's word, you see a fear not popping up. They, fulfill, they fill God's garden. And they must because there's much for us to be fearful of. There's much for us to be anxious about. And there's one thing that we can see from Genesis to the very map in the back of the Bible. Those of us who know Christ and trust him and those of us who are known by him and those of us who have been adopted by him and we are his children and we are in his kingdom. We are eternally cared for. We truly do have nothing to fear. And frankly, fear is simply an acknowledgement that we don't trust him. And I realize that's hard to hear. And I'm one that deals with fear on a daily basis. I'm one that battles anxiety on a daily basis. And I have to continue to preach to myself that fear and anxiety is an acknowledgement that I do not trust him. How many times even since the, I've been pastoring or preaching here for you have I told you I actually have no plan B for my own resurrection? 
all right? When the time comes and if the Lord does not return before I physically die, and I physically die, and I'm physically... I did a funeral this week of a, of a man uh, years ago, <laughs> uh, a funeral this week of a man who years ago, uh, I was going door to door as a young church planter. I was 24 years old, 23 years old, starting a church in, in East Independence, and um, I was just meeting in the Blackburn Elementary School. And I was just going door to door, uh, trying to see who might be interested in, in uh, being part of our church and in knowing Jesus. And not very many people were talking to me. <laughs> I knocked on this one door, and a lady named Betty Sled opened the door, and we began a conversation, and her heart was open to what we were talking about. And so she came and visited our church, meeting in a little elementary school. Probably didn't have 30 people there. And... Um, but she liked it, and the Lord began to move in her heart, and uh, her husband, Cotton, uh, didn't come, but um, uh, I developed a relationship with him as well, and we eventually, eventually got some acreage, and we were going to break ground for a new church building, our first building, and I wanted to use a, a plow instead of a shovel. I wanted to have a plow and a rope tied to it so everybody that was part of the church could pull the plow, and, uh, and so... I was asking about a plow, and, and uh, Betty told Cotton about that, and he, he had a plow, and he was willing and excited to let us use it. So he brought the plow up to the church, to the land on that Sunday uh, in November. Uh, for whatever reason, you remember some dates, it was November 18th, 1984. And, uh, and we all took that rope, and we pulled that plow and broke ground for the church. And Cotton began to come to church after that. And uh, he, he trusted Jesus, and he became very active and very involved, and uh, World War II veteran. And I had Betty's funeral eight years ago, and then this past week I had, I had Cotton's funeral. He was 92 years old. And um, you just never know when you go knocking on a door, do you? So it, was a, it just really was uh, rewarding to know that he was with Betty and he was with the Lord. And, uh, and hey, I got no plan B when that happens for me. You trust in me, listen to me. When, I, when the Lord takes me home, I'm not like, well, you know what? If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, then I guess I'll try this and I'll try that and maybe I'll try the other thing. How many of you, don't raise your hand, this is rhetorical, but how many of you say, I'm gonna trust Jesus for this thing in my life, but if that doesn't work out, I'm gonna try this and I'm gonna be trying to do this the whole time and I'm gonna worry about it 24 hours a day. And I'm, We trust him with our resurrection. Why don't we just trust him with everything in our life, Right? In other words, fear not. He has it all in control. Anything that happens to you or to me in the days and weeks to come, and some of it could be very painful and very difficult, his grace is deep enough to handle it. And he will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, he is the kind of God who will come to you in your point of hurt and your point of, of need. He will actually run to you in your hurt. And his grace is more than enough for any problem we will have. And truthfully, Every problem we have, every struggle we have, every hurt we have, every disease we have is incredibly temporary. It is like a vapor and a fog. It'll be gone in a moment compared to all eternity when it will no longer be here. So all of our healing has been absolutely promised. If not in this brief, momentary fog of a life we live, then it will be for all eternity. 
no more heartache, no more sorrow, no more sadness. And you get through these difficult hours and these difficult days with the hope of future assured glory. And just as you don't have a plan B to raise yourself from the dead as a Christian, we don't need a plan B to deal with the other things in our life. We just don't need to be afraid. Fear not. Over and over again. When the angel spoke to Mary when he first encountered her, fear not. And we could go on and on and on. Over 300 times. So they say to these shepherds, don't be afraid. And folks, that's the message. That's one of the primary messages of Christmas. You don't have to be afraid. There is no disease that's greater than Jesus. There's no hurt that's greater than him. There's no problem that he can't address. There's nothing in your life or my life that will happen to us that is so overwhelming that God is not completely aware of it and completely able to meet us at the point of our greatest need and give us all the sufficient grace we need at that moment. Very familiar story, but a good one. Many of you know of Corey Tinboom, who spent many years in a German concentration camp. She and her family helped hide Jews for a number of years. Finally, they were arrested. Her whole family was killed, including her mother, father, her sister, And she felt certain that she would be too, but she survived the camp. But she would often be in that camp and wonder if this was the night that they would come and take her, or this next morning would be the morning that she would be selected not to go to work, but to go to the gas chamber. And she began to think an awful lot about death. Obviously, it was all around her. And she remembered as a child, she asked her father what it would be like to die. And her father said, Corey, when we take the train to Amsterdam... When do I give you your ticket? And she said, just before the conductor comes to our seat. And he said, that's the way it is with grace at death. You'll not receive it likely until the very moment you need it, but the ticket will be there. You will have it. And so many times in life, we wonder, what if this happens, or what if that happens? And we can't imagine what we would do if that happened. Well, we don't need the grace for that because it hasn't happened yet. But if those things do happen at that time, you will receive the grace, the strength that you need to go through it. And as I said, as James, the brother of Jesus, says, these troubles and trials of ours, after all, won't last very long. The cross has the final word in everything. Christmas basically just screams at us who know Jesus, don't be afraid. And then the angels say this later. Glory to God in the highest, verse 14. It was a multitude of the heavenly host. This exploded, the sky filled with this. I can't begin to imagine the brightness of this and what it looked like for these Shepherds, for any of us for that matter, to be, see the, the heavens open up and not just a, a, a heavenly beast. And please, the angels do not look like precious moments. We've talked about that. They're not little children with little tiny wings and halos over their head. They're very strong, angelic messengers, warriors in a sense of God. You know, there is, there is 
there's all kinds of, of, of there's, there's cosmic battle going on in heaven, even at this moment, not in heaven, but cosmic battle going on here on the earth between the angels and those that Satan has, the, the angels that fell with him. You, you realize that. This is, I have no idea where this is going on a Christmas sermon, but I just want to talk to you about angelic beings. That there is, there is, there is among us, literally, if, if God would ever pull back the curtain and let us see what was really happening around us all the time, there are angelic strong forces, both, both of God, but those who have fallen with, with Satan. And, and this world is caught up in that. And, and, and that's another sermon that we'll get to perhaps maybe after the first of the year. But they, these are powerful beings that no doubt would have frightened anybody. You know, again, they're not little precious moments things. These are, these are really powerful beings, and the whole heavens filled up, and the sky was lit up, and these angels were terrified, as any human being would be. Don't be afraid, they said. I have good news of great joy to the whole world. No one is left out of this news if they will hear it and respond to it. And he said this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Everything is about God's glory. Everything's about God's glory. We exist for his glory. Our joy is found in his glory. Glory to God in the highest. And then one of the most, if not the most, misunderstood phrase in all of the Bible. The King James says, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And that is not at all the best way to translate that from the original languages. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Really, the more appropriate translation is probably what some of your other translations have that are, that are newer and more tied to the original text. But peace on earth to men of goodwill is one way of putting it. Peace on earth to those with whom God is well pleased is probably the best way to put it. Because people often look at that and say, well, what's the deal? That was 2,000 years ago, and the world has been a far worse place since he came in some ways than before he did in terms of the number of people who've been murdered and killed and terrorists and the scale and the scope of, of global war that has taken place since he came. It makes him look pretty ineffective. If this child came to bring peace on earth, well, then he didn't do a very good job. You could just say that. Where in the world? And nothing sums that up better than the song we often hear at Christmas, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, written by Longfellow. In 1861, imagine, he's writing this during the Civil War, by the way, which we can't even begin. And if, listen, if you, were, if you lived in Pleasant Hill during the Civil War, you were really caught up in it. You know about about removing people in this part of the state that were two miles from the, from the border, and it was, it was just constant raids back and forth, and it was, it, it was terrible. We can't even begin to comprehend what it was like to be living, in, in, if you lived right here in the middle of, of some of the most fierce battles and going back and forth and not knowing who you can trust and federal government coming in and just removing you physically from the land and your home. and So in the midst of this civil war, Longfellow writes, in two years, in 1861, two years before writing this poem, and we'll read the poem in a minute, 
Longfellow's personal peace was shaken when his wife of 18 years was tragically burned to death in a fire. In 1861, he lost his wife of 18 years to a fire. Then in 1863, during the Civil War, his oldest son, Charles, joined the Union as a soldier without his father's blessing. Longfellow was informed by a letter on March 14th that Charles had left. Try hard to resist the temptation of going without your approval, but I could not any longer, he wrote. I feel it to be my first duty to whatever I can for my country and willing to lay down my life. Charles soon got an appointment as a lieutenant, but in November he was severely wounded at the Battle of New Hope Church in Virginia. And during the mine run campaign, Charles eventually recovered, but his time as a soldier was completely refinished. Longfellow first wrote the poem on Christmas Day in 1863. His son had been critically wounded in a war he didn't want him to fight. His wife had been burned in a fire two years before, and his country that he knew and that he loved was torn apart at the seams. And so how do you write a Christmas song in the middle of the Civil War? So he wrote these words. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. I thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black, cursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and the sound that drowned the carols out no longer could hear peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearts and stones of content and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So I bowed in despair my head, and I said, there is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill toward men. You think about that song, it's like, um, well, it's not over yet, and someday. And I understand where Longfellow's coming. You're in the midst of a civil war, you've lost your wife, and you hear peace on earth, goodwill to men, and you hear the angels saying that, and you think, this is not making any sense. There is no peace on earth. There is no goodwill toward men. And he basically says, you know, but, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll come someday and we'll hang in there. And The reality is, folks, when Jesus came the first time, the peace he brought on earth was not about a peace where no nation would ever fight another nation. You listen to me. The peace he brings on earth is not about no person would ever punch out another person. 
The peace he brings on earth is not that we're not going to gossip about each other. In other words, if you, if you put in your mind peace on earth to men of goodwill, that it's all going to be nice because he's here, that's not the peace he talk, they're talking about at this time. It's really not. It's peace on earth to men with whom he's well pleased. Peace on earth to men with whom he's well pleased. The reason there is no peace on earth, the peace that this is talking about, the peace that the angels are talking about, is, is the, the, the war the, that, the, that is between creation and the creator. That's what he's talking about. Listen. When God made Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden, there was peace between God and Adam and Eve. They walked, they talked, they fellowshiped 100%. There was nothing between them and God. It was complete peace. It was complete conversation. It was complete and wonderful, sweet and glorious fellowship between them. And because of that, there was communion and peace between Adam and Eve. There was peace on the earth because there was peace between heaven and earth. But when Adam and Eve both sinned, that was disrupted. And the Apostle Paul says that because of sin in our lives, we are an enemy of God by nature. There is no longer peace in that sense between God and man. Listen, I know this is Christmas and we want to talk about peace on earth and all the goodwill and all of that, but the reality of it is you are either, you are either forgiven and redeemed where a righteous and holy God can look upon you as pure and holy or you are an enemy of God by nature and if he is to let you off the hook, he ceases to be a righteous judge and he goes against his character and he cannot do that. Therefore, there is a problem on earth between the creator and the creation. There is no peace between the two. Because no matter how hard the creation tries, they cannot atone for the sin that they have created against the creator. And the only option for the creator who is just and holy is to utterly pour out his wrath on that which is sinful and destroy it. And there is no other way. You can't do enough good work. Jesus said all of your good work is like a heap of filthy rags. As we've said many times here, you could take every dime you have, every dime you're ever going to earn, every dime you ever inherited, give it to the poorest, most needy person in the world. You could go clear across the globe. You could give your life feeding hungry people and doing good work. And all of that's fine, but it's not going to buy you five seconds in heaven. But when Jesus came, when he was born, he came to do what you and I couldn't do. I mean, just look at one of the most powerful scriptures about the, the incarnation and the purpose of Jesus coming. It's found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God appeared in Jesus Christ, bringing salvation for all who would receive it. When the angel said, peace has come on earth to men with whom he's well pleased, this is what that means. No longer, once because Jesus came, look, there had to be a sacrifice made for God's holy justice to be satisfied. 
And it had to be a perfect sacrifice. And there was no lamb perfect enough. There was no goat perfect enough. There was no human perfect enough. The only way for God's wrath to be satisfied for the sin of humanity was for God himself, who was perfect, to wrap himself in human flesh, which he did, and be born of a virgin, which he was, and laid in that feed box, which he was, and lived a complete and totally sinless life for all of those years, which he did, and then willingly lay down his life and willingly allow the wrath of holy God to be placed upon him for the sin of all who would be redeemed, which he did, and then to burst forth from the tomb after being dead, which he was, and to rise on the third day, which he did, and to ascend to heaven, which he has, and to sit at the right hand of the Father, which he does, and to ever make intercession for all of us who who have repented of our sin and ask him to be our Savior, which he continues to do so that we all might be saved. And in that sense, that night, peace came on earth to all men and women who would ask for forgiveness and be redeemed. There would be no more warfare between God and that creation. And that is the peace that came that night. So peace on earth is peace between a broken, sinful man or a woman and holy God. And it came, listen, and it wasn't weak, and it wasn't imperfect, and it's not, it, the, the whole thing about a song like, when we heard the bells on Christmas, it's like, oh, we saw, it's just not working. It's not, it worked. It worked because cotton sled is in heaven today. The man I had the funeral for. It worked because all who've died in Christ are in heaven today. It worked because he has come to remove all of our sin. And from that moment, peace on earth to men and women with whom God is pleased of goodwill, who acknowledge their sin, who are part of the kingdom. There is no more war between us and God. Now, you can't have peace between you and your fellow man until you first have peace between you and God. So Christians should be the most peaceful, get-along, loving, compassionate people on earth. So I got a real problem with some of you folks. (laughs) And I got a real problem with me. And I got a real problem with sometimes how that I am so short-tempered with other people and so angry with people who don't have my political views and realizing how much peace God has given me in the minute what I have between God and me has been removed by Jesus Christ. I should be loving and forgiving and long-suffering. You look at the fruit of the Spirit, patience, endurance, long-suffering, forgiveness. Why? Because we've been given so much. Because I have peace between God, then I should be able to exhibit that with my wife and my children and my enemies, my church member friends. But here's the other reality. When he came as an infant in that feed box, and he lived that sinless life, and he died that substitutionary death, and as Titus tells us, the grace of God appeared bringing salvation And he brought salvation for our sin. He brought peace between us and our creator. He did that. But he is coming again. And we don't know when it is. Jesus said, no man knows the day nor the hour. 
but it's going to happen. And the first time he came as a little Hebrew baby boy in a little tiny backwoods town of Bethlehem in the middle of the night, laying in a feed box, surrounded by some really poor shepherds and animals, and no drummer boy. But when he comes back, he ain't coming with a drummer boy. He's coming with a heavenly choir. And he's coming with the sound. Oh, listen to this. He's coming with the sound of a trumpet that will drown out every sound on earth. And he's coming in power and he's coming in might. And every single knee will bow. And every despot, every atheist, every will confess that he is the Lord. It may be too late. By that time, just because they acknowledge him as they see him, but it may be too late. But even those in hell are going to know he's the Lord. And he will set up a new heaven and a new earth. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. There'll come a day when there will be total peace. That day is not today. Today we still live in a fallen and broken world. And our job as those of us of men and women of goodwill, men and women with whom he is well pleased, men and women who've repented of our sin and trusted him as Lord, our job is to daily to grow closer to him, become more like him, live out our faith more, share it with men and women, let other people know of the glorious hope that is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because one day all of this will pass away and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and that'll be a great and glorious day. Peace on earth to men and women with whom God is pleased. For those of us who have received him as our Lord and Savior, we're not perfect, but we don't have to be because Jesus was perfect for us. And his perfection purchased my salvation and removed the barrier, the warfare between my creator and myself. And because Jesus came... There is peace now on earth between those who are redeemed and God the Holy One. It could not have come without Jesus. And so the angels were elated that now there is peace on earth between those who are men of goodwill, those who are redeemed, and the Creator. And one day, when He comes back in all of His power and all of His glory, there will be no more war. There will be, will be no more fighting. There will be no more death. There will be no more destruction. And as they say, Maranatha, come quickly. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to our show so the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready whenever you are. And secondly, if Grace Family has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and make a donation now. And we'll see you next time on the Grace Family Podcast.